Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you've made every provision necessary. Lord, you made the sacrifice. The one and only sacrifice necessary to restore our relationship with you. And you didn't hold back your one and only son. Thank you, Father, for sending the salvation we needed. Lord, you made the way. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we continue to give you all glory and all honor and all praise. We proclaim that you are the way and the truth and the life. And we say thank you this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Chris Valdez and I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest this morning, welcome. If you're looking for a church home, we hope you uh, consider making this one yours. We would love to welcome you and make you or have you being part of our body. Well, this morning is uh, Palm Sunday. It's also referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, and it's what occurred the week prior to Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection, which we will be celebrating next week. Jesus received a king's welcome when he entered uh, the city of Jerusalem on that day. And before we discuss it further, I want us to read uh, the account that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew about the triumphal entry. And it's in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Who is this man that was receiving such a welcome? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the disciples put their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and then the crowds put their 
cloaks down and even cut palm branches off the trees and laid them on the ground for his donkey to walk on. And that's why it's referred to as Palm Sunday. And at the same time they were doing this, they were crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Matthew noted that all this was in fulfillment of the prophecy that your King, your King is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Your King is coming. And on this day, the people of Jerusalem gave Jesus a king's welcome. And they shouted, Hosanna. That word, Hosanna, and we, we sang it in several songs as we were worshiping. Hosanna means, oh, save. Save us. Save now. It's also an exclamation of adoration. So they were saying, oh, save us. Save us now, O son of David. Save us now. They didn't realize how true the words that they were shouting really were. But they also didn't realize who Jesus really was. When others asked who he was, the crowd said, it's the prophet Jesus. They were crying for salvation, but they didn't even know what they really needed saving for. They were crying for salvation and being saved from the Roman occupation. They were crying out for a conquering king. One that would rule here on earth and set them free from their captives. They were looking for someone to save them from their immediate circumstances. Not for the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world and restore humanity's relationship with God the Father. They came for what they wanted, not for what they needed. How often do we do the same thing? We come to God crying out for salvation, but not for what we really need saving from, merely the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And when those expectations aren't met, we get frustrated and often even walk away. The real tragedy is how quickly their tune would change. We know that less than a week later, these same people who are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, wanting to make Him their conquering King. Days later, these same people will be shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! What changed? Jesus' only crime is that He doesn't meet their expectation. He didn't do what they wanted Him to, when they wanted Him to, and how they wanted Him to. How often do we come with those same expectations? We come to Jesus, to God, wanting Him to save us from our circumstances. We want the salvation that we want, not the salvation that we need. Their expectation of a conquering king unmet. Instead, they received what was prophesied. A humble king, mounted on a donkey. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They received 
who they needed, not who they wanted. The King of kings and Lord of lords is humble. And He wants to know. God the Father wants us to know Him and to have a relationship with Him. He's personal. He's a personal God and wants to have personal relationships. And it's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to even comprehend that. How could the God of the universe have a personal relationship with us? And it's because on that day, we got what we needed, not what we wanted. Jesus had to walk through the events of this day and the coming week to accomplish the will of the Father. And in Jesus' own words, He came to seek and to save the lost. In December and early January, I preached a series called It's Personal. I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, at, the, at the conclusion, or what would have been the concluding message, I got COVID. It was also the weekend that uh, that snowstorm came in. And thankfully, Cody Leach uh, was available and, and covered for me. But after that Sunday, it really didn't fit anywhere. I couldn't uh, seem to work that message back in. I was like, well, maybe I just, you know, maybe we're never going to get to that one. But as I prayed about it, I felt like what came to mind and what God was speaking was there's nothing more personal than what the Father and Son and Holy Spirit did and accomplished through the cross and resurrection. And this morning and next week, our focus is going to be on how personal Jesus Christ is. If you were here for that series, you'll remember that the focus was on Jesus' personal interaction with the man Zacchaeus. If you're familiar with the story, he was a tax collector. He was short in stature. He wanted to see Jesus, but the crowd was uh, thick and, and he couldn't see over them, so he climbs up in a tree. And as Jesus is passing through, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he calls him out of the tree by name. And he has a personal interaction with Zacchaeus. And you may say, well, what does this story have anything to do with Palm Sunday or the resurrection next week? And I'll tell you, one of the things that we uh, saw and that was actually a revelation for me at the time that I'd never noticed before was Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to the cross. He was literally on his way to the triumphal entry, to the week that would, would change from Hosanna's to crucify Him, to a crucifixion, to His resurrection. And with all of that coming and with all of that on His mind, He had time for one man, Zacchaeus. Jericho was only about 17 miles from Jerusalem. And after this encounter, and Jesus stays at Zacchaeus' house, and most likely on the next day, but all of these things happened in two or three days prior. We, don't, uh, we know real clearly from the time that, of the triumphal entry afterward, the days before, we're not sure if there's like one day, two days in between each thing, but we do know all these, happened, all these things happened right before that. So possibly the next day, maybe another day later, Jesus and the disciples would have traveled from Jerusalem to Bethany. And according to John 11, this is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's another personal encounter. And the same thing as we've talked about how important the context is, most of the time when we talk about Lazarus, we focus on that story, not that that also happened right before 
the triumphal entry and right before uh, Jesus would go to the cross. Another interesting thing that, that stood out to me, putting these things in context, was that uh, Mary and Martha, if you'll remember, get very upset with Jesus that he got there late. They called him when Lazarus was just sick. And they said, if you had been here on time, he wouldn't have died. Jesus has a habit of not meeting expectation, doesn't he? But he does what's needed. They just didn't know what was needed. And so they're upset because now Lazarus is dead. And he's been in the ground and he's been there for several days. And now he's stinking. What they didn't know is Jesus did it on purpose. It was part of the plan. He needed to raise Lazarus from the dead. And what stood out was, had he been there on time, on Mary and Martha's schedule, he would have missed Zacchaeus. But huh, he does what we need. He's there for everything we need, not to meet our expectation. In verse 25, before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Put in context that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Obviously, these words meant a lot, and even to the people that heard it. But then put into the context of the rest of the week, how much more does that mean that Jesus is telling them, I am about to die, and I'll be resurrected. And if you believe in me, you won't ever die. And that same day, or possibly the next day in John chapter 12, Jesus and the disciples have supper with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's then that Mary anoints Jesus' feet with the fragrant perfume and wipes it with her hair. And again, a lot of times we look at that story but forget that literally either earlier that day or the day before, Lazarus was dead. And now he's eating dinner with them. And Jesus says, she's anointing my feet for my burial. And they don't get it. They don't know what he's talking about. They don't understand. But Jesus is trying to have this personal relationship with them in these personal, intimate conversations. And he's telling them who he really is and why he really came. And they still just don't understand. In John 12, after the triumphal entry or during that account of the triumphal entry, John even points out the reason why the crowd was so large and the reason they were so excited. It literally says that the tri- the, all the crowd had gathered not only to see Jesus, but to see the man that he'd raised from the dead. They wanted to see Lazarus. So they were there for two reasons. And probably a third. What's he going to do today? Maybe we can see something else neat. And just as Jesus' words about being the resurrection and the life prior to raising Lazarus from the dead mean so much more when placed so close to his crucifixion and his own resurrection, the same thing applies to his last words that he speaks to Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, 9 through 10, Jesus said, 
Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He's giving them every clue they need. He's saying, this is why I came. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to give you life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If we had been alive then and following Jesus, and today were that Palm Sunday, two or three days ago, Jesus transformed Zacchaeus. Just a day or so ago, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And today, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, greeted by a crowd with a king's welcome, shouting, Hosanna! Save us! Save us now! And what he knew, but they didn't, was that he was on his way to the cross. Yet he still had time for Zacchaeus, and he still had time to raise someone else from the dead, knowing that he himself was going to need raising within a week. These accounts of Jesus and his interaction with Zacchaeus and Lazarus are ones of transformation. Not because of anything either of them did, but because of what Jesus does and what He still does. Any one of us can be changed. Any one of us can be made whole. Any one of us can be transformed, but it's not something that we can do on our own. The only way we can be transformed and made whole is through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. God redeems us. He restores us. He transforms us so we can have a personal relationship with Him. And He wants to do that for all of us. But we have to believe Him. Yes, He gives us eternal life when we come to Him, but He also gives us a new life for today. The life that we actually live in. We have to remember that the power of the gospel should never be limited to what happens after we die. The gospel should always be thought of in context of how it transforms a person's life while we're still living it. Jesus told Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, not the day that you're going to die. There's something else that happens that's right after the triumphal entry that just shows how personal Jesus really is and His heart for the people and His heart for each of us. In Matthew 23, 37, it says, this is Jesus crying out. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was saying, I'm willing, but you're not. I'm trying to make it as clear as I can, but you're not getting it. You don't understand. We know that Jesus had lost a crowd before. We just finished a series out of John 6, where Jesus taught a very hard message. And not only did the crowd go away, but most of his disciples went away because they couldn't receive him for who he really was. And now, thanks to the resurrection uh, from the dead of Lazarus, he's got garnished a new crowd. 
and they're crying His praises once again and saying, Hosanna, save us. Give us what we want. Give us what we expect. But Jesus knows that it's not going to last very long. They're going to leave too. Because once again, they're there for the wrong reason. But His heart is, how long I've cried out to you. I want to put my wings over you like a mother hen would with her chicks, but you won't come. You won't come for what you really need. And their cry of Hosanna changes to a cry of crucify Him. For what crime? Pilate says, he interviews them multiple times and he said, I can't find anything wrong with them. He's committed no sin. His sin was he didn't meet their expectations. He wasn't the conquering king that they wanted. This morning as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a toddler at the grocery store. and perspective that they don't have. But I was also reminded when we think about it, we don't have the perspective either as adults. It's so easy to lose. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you've been to the grocery store. (laughs) You see, they put those toys and candies and everything right at their height, right as you're checking out at the register. And a three-year-old or a two-year-old instantly forgets everything that you do for them. That there's not a need that they have that you don't meet or that you wouldn't do anything you could to meet. You feed them. You clothe them. You love them. You hug them. You kiss them. You wake up with them in the middle of the night. You clean up after them. And on and on and on and on. But at that moment, none of that matters. They see something they want. And they'll writhe on the floor or scream or do whatever it is they can do to get it. And the point, it doesn't matter if you get it or not. That's not the point. The point is that they don't care about anything else. And that's who Jesus encountered. And that's How often have we been that when we encounter Him? We didn't get what we wanted. He didn't give it to us the way we wanted. It didn't come on time. It wasn't in the right package. When I opened the package, it wasn't what was supposed to be inside. And I'll walk away because He gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. God, forgive us. We walk away from Jesus because He gives us what we need the most, not what we want. And it's not new. And we'll tell ourselves, oh, if we'd have been there, we wouldn't have been shouting crucify Him. Oh, no, not me. But how many times in our own life have we been so frustrated, so mad, so angry because He didn't do it the way He was supposed to? Jesus came to give us everything, everything that we need. 
He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I am the resurrection and the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus had a personal message to deliver. And he cried out, I want to gather you like a mother gathers her chicks. But you're not willing. Jesus said, all of me is available to you. I'm literally giving you my life. If you just believe me. Before we close, I want to touch on one of the greatest hindrances, I think, that come between us and us believing Him, and that's that we really don't trust Him. It goes all the way back to that first lie Satan told. Did God really say? Did He really do? God really does want what's best for us, our absolute best. He doesn't desire to use us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And He desires to show us what only He can do in our lives when we'll walk with Him. God's master project is His people. It's you. God doesn't have a project that He uses us to accomplish. People are God's project. God doesn't use us to build His thing. Instead, His thing is to build us into everything that He's made us to be. He directs us because He knows what's best for us and He loves us and wants us to flourish. Virtually every act of sin or rebellion on our part is rooted in the lie that God isn't actually for us. We believe the lie that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will including God. And we believe the lie that God isn't actually good. But He is. He is. And He's working everything out for our good. And His desire is to be more personal with us and for us to be more personal with those around us. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This passage speaks of the love that we're to have for Him and for others, but it leaves out God's love for us. That love, His love for us is perfect. It's overwhelming. It's unending. And God showed us that love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And on that cross, His cry was, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't understand yet who I am. Give them a little more grace. Give them a little more mercy. Give them another chance that they might know. But can we receive it? Can we believe it? That God, the Creator of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has done everything to be more personal with each of us. 
Can we be personal with Him and with those around us like Jesus called us to be? God made a way to redeem us and transform us and save us. And He wants a personal relationship with us. And He showed us that in Jesus' final days and His encounters with Zacchaeus and Lazarus that we can come to Him with anything. He's literally the solution to every problem. But it might not look like you think it should. You ever helped your go? We don't help our kids with math. I don't, Kenny might be able to. I know I can't. Have you ever worked on a math problem and the solution doesn't look like it's supposed to? I wouldn't know if it was right or not. I don't understand. I can't comprehend it. But the solution that he gives is the solution that we need. Whatever it looks like. His is the relationship, the only relationship that will never let us down. And my hope and prayer is that each of us will come to Him for who He truly is. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ was not a good man. Jesus Christ wasn't a prophet And Jesus Christ wasn't a good teacher. Jesus Christ wasn't past tense anything. Jesus Christ is and will always be the Son of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who He is. That's who He came That's who He presented Himself as. He never said He was anyone else. But it wasn't who they wanted. But it was who we all needed. But will we receive it? Will we receive Him for what He is? And will we receive the gifts that He gives us that will solve every problem in our life no matter whether it looks like it or not? And if no circumstance changes, will we still believe? Will we still hold on? Is He still enough? Or will we walk away too? Because it's not what we wanted. It's not what we expected. He just wants a relationship with you. Everything has been done. There's nothing left to do. God of the Father has taken care of everything necessary. All we have to do, Jesus said, is believe. Believe. He's enough. He's enough. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not once giving in to our tantrums. Thank you for never giving us what we wanted versus what we needed. Lord, thank you that you are a good, good Father who only wants what's best for us. 
who has done everything, everything that's necessary. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for being willing. Thank you for being the perfect example and the express image of God the Father. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Father, show us what we need. Open our hearts to receive what we need, not what we want. Father, I pray that we stop looking at the package, that we stop looking at the circumstances. just believe that you are good because you are. And know that our salvation will come at the right time, at the right moment, in the right way for every area of our life. And we can be whole in you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with us, we're about to close and worship. Before we do, I just want to take a moment uh, to remind everyone, if, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, previously, or maybe you were doing so this morning and have never been baptized, uh, we have a baptismal just behind the screen, and we can uh, schedule those almost any time. You can reach out to Daryl uh, or myself or send us an email or call us, and we'll get that lined up. But Uh, The Word says that when we've been saved, Jesus said that then we're to be baptized in water. And so if you've never done that, we encourage you to do that. And also, uh, this book is out in the foyer. It's always out there. It's called Ten Steps to Jesus Christ. If uh, you are a new believer, you know of anyone that's a new believer, uh, they're free. You can take a copy. If you know someone to give it, take one, give it away. Um, If we run out, we'll put more out. Um, But we just want to make those things available. A few quick uh, announcements for you before you leave. Saturday, April 3rd, there will be a throne room encounter at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium. And if you enjoy today's praise and worship, same lady leads it. She does a great job. (laughs) Sunday, April 4th is Easter. Those of you who are regulars, if you would please consider attending the first service to make room for the crowds of people they would expect to come here to second service. It would be greatly appreciated. And the first service is great. It, re- it is a good time. Y'all should come enjoy that. Saturday, April 10th, men's breakfast at, 10, at uh, 8 a.m. over in the fellowship hall. And lastly, uh, we handed out some flyers for the ladies' event that's going to be on April 16th. And if you RSVP'd with the email that was on it, maybe you got a strange message back. That was the wrong email. So if you would look on the new flyers, it has the right email. You will get reserved for dinner, and you'll have a great time. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 